Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. I am Rachel. My pronouns are they, them, and I hope you are ready for some family fun today. And I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Today marks our first episode back from our brief hiatus in January, and we are really happy to be starting with an episode on Kensuke Office, also known as Diamond Ring. Diamond Ring was an independent Perez promotion that was founded as Kensuke Office in early 2012. The promotion was founded by wrestling legends Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto and ran until March 2014. In this episode, we explore the very beginnings of the Kensuke Office personnel as freelancers, their start as a true company, some of the major shows and unforgettable matches that came from the promotion, and most importantly, the humanity of the members of Kensuke Office and Kensuke family as they built a legacy to last long past the promotion's final show. And a thank you to Ben from Twitter, who did suggest during our November polls to do a series on defunct promotions. So without further ado, let's get into it. Before we begin, I want to talk a little bit about my primary sources for this episode and my translation process. For this episode, I translated parts of The Source of Energy for the Kensuke Family, a series of essays originally written for Shukan Pro Wrestling Magazine by Sasaki, Hokuto, and Nakajima, collected in book form by Baseball Magazine Publishing. I also went through various articles written for Shukan Pro Wrestling and Weekly Gong. In this episode, I cite Gong number 1017 from April 28, 2004, with a beautiful interview with Akira Hokuto called A Woman with a Five-Fold Personality, The Demon Bride, an interview with Akira Hokuto. I also utilized Shoe Pro number 1295 from January 4, 2006, and the special cover story, Fight With Me, Katsuhiko, The Kensuke Family which is a collection of interviews from all three main members of Kensuke family, Akira Hokuto, Kensuke Sasaki, and Katsuko Nakajima. I also pulled from Shoe Pro number 1364 from April 5th, 2007, and the article, Camping to One's Heart's Content, Kensuke Family Trains in Fiji. All of the main sources came from Alicia's extensive collection of books and magazines and were translated by me over the course of the last month. I've only been studying Japanese on and off for about two years now, and there's a lot that I'm still learning every day. As such, I often use a pop up kanji dictionary called Yomichan to help me figure out words I do not know, and a sentence parser called Ichi.moe M-O-E, to figure out unfamiliar grammar. Even with these tools, I still need a command of grammar and vocabulary so I can figure out nuance, historical context, and more. Misinformation as a result of mistranslations or machine translations has become a really big problem in the wrestling community. So it's crucial to understand that even with today's technological advancements, no machine will be as good as human as a human translating it by hand. So in December 2003, Kensuke Sasaki left Rikichoshu's promotion, Fighting of World Japan Pro Wrestling, often referred to as either World Japan or Double J, having been left penniless after failing to return the large sum of money he had set aside for the launch of Double J. 
This promotion lasted a little over a year and was infamously plagued by money, booking, and communication issues that left Sasaki and Hokuto without much money, to the point where in his interview in Shukan Pro Wrestling issue number 1295, he stated that he couldn't even afford to buy a 700 yen toy for his son. On the advice of Genichiro Tenryu, he began working as a freelance wrestler with his wife, Akira Hokuto, as Kensuke's manager. According to Hokuto's interview portion in that same magazine, 1295, Genichiro Tenryu called Kensuke's home and advised Hokuto, if Kensuke is going to do it alone, he needs to have a manager of his own. Sasaki didn't have the money to hire a manager, so Tenryu said, then why don't you do it, Hachan? which is what sparked Hokuto to start working as Sasaki's manager. And I just want to raise here, just because I find the trajectory of Kensuke's career so fascinating. And this is spoken about beautifully on Justin Nipper and Fumi Saito's podcast, Write That Down for Fight Game Media. They have an episode on Kensuke Sasaki that you and I both absolutely love. It's like one of our favorite episodes. So I recommend to anyone listening, if you have not listened to that episode or you just haven't listened to Justin and Fumi yet, please make sure you check out that episode or the podcast in general. I just want to flag this because we're going to keep returning to the concept of this as we get through the episode. But Kensuke Sasaki did a lot of moving around of promotions even before December 2003. You know, he was a true protege of Ricky Choshu, like the number one protege of Ricky Choshu, which is really interesting. He went from high school to working under Ricky in Japan pro wrestling, which if you remember from our All Japan Factions episode was a quote unquote rebel promotion started by Ricky that was affiliated with All Japan because of that contract dispute that Ricky had with New Japan and that television contract that came up with between Japan Pro Wrestling and All Japan Pro Wrestling. So that's where they became affiliated there. So he started his rookie days there under Ricky, and he was an AJPW regular during that time. But then Kensuke winds up following Ricky to New Japan in about 1987. And this really starts that sort of, I think, piece of Kensuke's identity as an outsider that Justin and Fumi speak to so beautifully in their podcast. And again, I can't recommend the episode enough, but it's important to flag this here as Kensuke is once again having to leave another promotion and having to kind of reflect on what he does next. He's sort of always playing right that outsider and that sort of starts with Ricky too he he might have started in New Japan Ricky had to immediately pivot to his own promotion in Japan pro wrestling and that kind of starts that outsider sort of identity that begins with Ricky goes through Kensuke and then as we get through the rest of this episode we'll talk about how we see that in Kensuke's protégés Katsuhiko Nakajima, Kento Miyahara, Masakitamiya. So it's something really interesting that you can see even earlier on in Kensuke's career and how that plays out for the rest of his charges. Yeah, I think that's really, really important to note. And I'm really glad you brought that up because that will definitely come up later on. Um, so let's just go a little more in depth into some of this freelance work, especially Hokuto's job as a manager and a ringside second. She actually talks about this a little bit in her April 2004 interview with Weekly Gong issue 1017. So she had been working as 
manager of Kensgate office from behind the scenes, uh, referring to herself as the manager of the smallest office in Japan. It was literally just her acting as a manager for Kensuke at that point. Tenru, however, then asked her to act as a second for his match against Masanobu Fuchi on February 22nd, 2004 for AJPW's show at the Nippon Budokan. On this, she states, the only person who gave me a chance was Tenru-san. I wasn't planning on seconding him, but when Tenru-san put on his gown, I agreed. It was not out of respect for Tenru, but trust. From there, she became both a manager and ring second to Kensuke Sasaki, appearing alongside him in all of his freelance work, including wrestling with him post-retirement in an AJPW ring as the first woman to ever do so. She fought Kendo Kashin on April 20th, 2004, defeating him in just over three minutes and fought alongside her husband and other members of Kensuke family in a 10-man elimination match. This was really shocking at the time, but Hokuto states that this was actually Tenru's idea, citing a quote from him. I just want to see all Japan change course by breaking with tradition. I thought that was really interesting. Isn't that a fascinating quote from Tenru in particular with yeah. like everything we know about his history with all Japan, with like Baba and the way that he left and everything that kind of happened there and then being brought back in the early 2000s to help save the company. It's just so interesting that he is one of the people that was like, yeah, let's break from tradition <laughs> by the time this all rolls around. I just thought that quote was incredible. Isn't it? I, I knew that you would uh, find that really interesting because that definitely struck a chord with me. So as a manager and second for the freelancing Sasaki, she did a lot of interference and cheating spots, usually using a kendo stick as a weapon. On this, she states, when I started working as a manager, I had studied all the indie wrestlers. I am different from other managers in that I know Kensuke Sasaki shines when he works with me. I am sure that people think I am just a female wrestler or a demon wife or a bad wife or something like that but I am deeply committed and thoughtful. No one else is this devious. <laughs> and it's just it's such, and Hokuto is such a character and you'll you'll see this through this episode, but it's really um, incredible how much confidence she has in both herself and her husband. And you can see that in that quote. Another thing I really want to note from this specific interview is her philosophy as both a wrestling manager and a company manager and what she wanted to see out of her husband during the early stages of his freelancing career. The interviewer asks, what is the manager Akira Hokuto's ideal image of Kensuke Sasaki? She responds with, to make a living, he should become a hyena, and quickly goes on to elaborate with, hyenas have a bad image, don't you think? They steal the meat of other prey, but isn't that a good way of life? There's no shame in taking someone else's meat. It's a way of life that makes you stand out. They eat until they are reduced to bones and leave nothing but inedible parts. People don't know how scary hyenas really are. It is important to be observant about who is fighting where and who is being defeated. In this day and age, you cannot live by force alone. In effect, I am the one who is supervising, so I am the hyena now. I think that is what Kensuke Sasaki needs more of. 
This quote beautifully sums up Akira Hokuto's management style, business outlook, and fierce love of her husband. And with that, the duo of Hokuto and Sasaki began to make big waves in the world of pro wrestling together as freelancers under the Kensuke office management name. I think this quote is so fascinating too, because I, I believe if you if you only know of Kensuke through his wrestling, he can be such a force in the ring, right? Like someone who can just pivot on a dime into some of the like coolest violence you've ever seen unleashed on another human being. It's he's an amazing person to watch in the ring. But that that version of Kensuke in the ring is so the opposite of the man that is behind that character, right? And that's where Hokuto, I think, really, that's what she's talking about. That's where she needs sometimes, I think, to step in. And you're going to beautifully illustrate that for us throughout this episode, too, of exactly how they balance each other. Oh, yeah. It's it's really interesting, especially as you get into some of their variety show work, where you start to see Kensuke as the person um, that he is outside of the ring. It's It's very interesting, for sure, the way they sort of balance each other out. So... Now it's time to enter the next member of the Kensuke family, and that would be Katsuko Nakajima. Katsuko Nakajima, the youngest male pro wrestler to ever debut at the time, left Double J at the end of March. According to a brief editorial written in the same weekly gong issue as the Hokuto interview, so issue 1017, the reason for this was the drastic decrease in Double J shows. Also written in the article is that Nakashima had a meeting with Riki Choshu at the Toyohashi event on March 24th, and the two reached an amicable decision on his departure from the company. After leaving the organization, Nakashima returned to his mother's house in Aichi Prefecture and continued to go to Dobukan in Konan City, where he had studied karate since he was eight years old to practice striking and mixed martial arts every day under the supervision of So Takauchi, the owner of that karate dojo. The editor then continues to write, however, Nakajima's goal is still the professional wrestling ring. In a telephone interview with Gong Magazine, Nakajima said, right now I'm training at the dojo as if it's a period to recharge my batteries. To be honest, I want to wrestle in the ring. I've just started my career, he said. On April 11th, the magazine received information that Nakajima, Sasaki, and Hokuto had a meeting at a hotel in Tokyo. The writer states, I immediately called Hokuto. <laughs> Clever tricks don't work on Hokuto. In a case like this, you have to ask her straight out. I thought was just very telling. Hokuto responded that I had met with him. I had met with him for sure. Well, I'll tell you the details later, but I think I can make an announcement in a couple of days. The writer notes that it made perfect sense to see Nakajima join the Kensuke office team, stating, this could be an ideal environment for Nakajima. Nakajima had been a great admirer of Kensuke since his double J days. It is said that Nakajima's face began to show signs of distress after Kensuke left double J last year. They also point out how beneficial this could be for Nakajima, opening up paths to work not only in New Japan, but also in All Japan, Michinoku Pro, and Toriumon through working with Kensuke. You eventually do see this happen throughout Nakajima's career 
as he shows up in almost every promotion imaginable through the early phases of his life. We will touch on this throughout the episode, but the writer finishes with the journey of the 16-year-old prodigy has just begun. All of this was so fascinating to read, but it absolutely leaves me with just this strange feeling. You and I have talked about this extensively, but it's interesting that the sort of fun fact of when Nakajima or rather what age Nakajima debuted Mm -hmm. and when this was all happening to him, right? With double J, these are things that are sort of touted as these interesting factoids about his life and career, but it's uncomfortable to read about a reporter remarking about how his face sort of fell when it was discussed that Kensuke was leaving double J, right? And because we're talking about a 16 year old child when we're going over this information, he's 16 years old and taking calls at his karate dojo with a reporter and really advocating for himself like an adult. But again, he's a 16 year old child. So I don't know, I wanted to highlight that because I think that it's become so normalized to discuss the earliest parts of his career with a sort of like fun fact, he debuted at this extremely young age and he did this, he did that. I do want to take a step back and just sort of, I don't know, highlight the fact that he really was a child expected to navigate a very difficult industry for adults to handle, even when they're in peak form. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. And we are going to touch on that throughout this episode, which you are very well aware, but that that's definitely something that I want everyone to bear in mind. And I had mentioned this while I was sort of talking to you about this particular editorial that the writer almost felt sort of like a a gossip columnist in some ways, um, calling, you know, this boy and, and asking him these questions. And I think you're exactly right. A lot of people think that his age is a gimmick rather than a actual piece of his life. And, and he's instead expected to act like as an adult. And it's, it's sort of interesting and a little harrowing to read these kinds of things, but it is, um, is definitely interesting overall. Mm -hmm. So the writer was correct, however, about this particular case, and that is Nakajima did end up joining Kensuke Office Group, debuting on May 3rd, 2004 at NJPW Nexus in the Tokyo Dome. He wrestled against Jushin Thunderliger in a singles match with both Sasaki and Hokuto in his corner. I want to point out a similarity that Katsuhiko and Kensuke have. Nakajima ends up having to re-debut, essentially, and joining this new group, right, with Hokuto and Kensuke Sasaki. When Kensuke went to, you know, he debuted with Japan Pro Wrestling, and then when he followed Ricky to New Japan, he had to go through the process again of getting into the New Japan Dojo and essentially re-debuting there. So they both share that experience of having to re-debut for a promotion and following people around. So it's very interesting how their careers wind up mirroring each other. Yeah, that is really interesting. Glad you sort of pointed that out. So in a January 2006 interview with Shukan Pro Wrestling, Kensuke Sasaki explains that Nakajima was to stay at the Sasaki house for three months while he looked for a job. However, three months passed and Nakajima attended one of Hokuto and Sasaki's monthly family meetings. And then he attended the one the next month and then the next month and so on and so forth. And Kensuke decided to continue training him during this time. 
According to the interview, Kensuke would ask the young Nakajima if there was any place he wanted to go. And Nakajima would always answer with, I'll talk to you if there is, and nothing more in the matter. Kensuke goes on to state, I told him that he could get a good meal at a proper dojo, but he always seemed to respond with, please let me stay here. Wrestlers in a dojo have cleaning, practice, and chakoban, Kensuke states, but they also have their own private time. Hatsiko cleans and practices the same way, but he has no private time. When we do anything, he always says, I'll take care of it, or what should I do with this? He is working much harder than any other new apprentice. Kensuke notes, and the interviewer seems amazed that Nakajima was truly taking care of the family 24-7, which Kensuke agrees with. Through these quotes, you can really get a sense of the relationship between Kensuke and Nakajima and how much care they really both felt towards each other. So in late 2004, Kensuke, Nakajima, and Hokuto formed a unit known as the Kensuke family. Since Kensuke and Hokuto were known as a close couple, and Nakajima's age was far from that of Kensuke and his wife, and Nakajima had grown up in a single-parent household, the unit sort of adopted this family gimmick. Hokuto was known as the devil wife or the ogre wife. Kensuke was known as the father, and Nakajima was known as sort of the son-in-law or the stepson. An important thing I want to note is that Nakajima almost exclusively refers to Kensuke as Oyaji, which is a colloquial term that can mean father or boss or an older man that is like a father to you. So pretty much all three of these meanings work really well and uh, sums up Sasaki and Nakajima's relationship perfectly. Another fun fact is that we had some other members of the Kensuke family uh, from this one Shupro article on that Kensuke family, so the one where uh, Kensuke was sort of talking through everything, it was revealed that Tenru, or Tensan, is the Sasaki children's godfather and another member of the Kensuke family, as well as Masa Saito, who is referred to as Kensuke's uminoya, or uh, father, kind of like, it means like biological creator. <laughs> so so his, his father, or the grandfather of Kensuke family. And going into that, I um, got some really fun stuff from uh, the book, The Source of Energy for the Kensuke Family. And it opens with uh, specific rules for being a member of Kensuke Family, written by Akira Hokuto. I thought they were all really cute and funny, and also painted a really good picture of what it was like for Sasaki, Hokuto, Nakajima, and the two young Sasaki boys Kanosuke and Sanosuke, who all live under the same roof together. So I wanted to share those with you. Number one, when all five members of the family are together, they eat together. Number two, always lower the toilet seat after you use the toilet, which I thought was such a uh, woman who lives with four men sort of uh, <laughs> rule. It, it just struck me. Uh, Three, respond immediately when your name is called. Four, don't eat sweets alone. And that was interesting. So I, I read deeper into it. And this also expanded to snacks, which there was this unspoken rule in the household where if one person is eating snacks while watching TV, for example, 
the other four would sort of silently gather around and they would all share. Sasaki would also um, often grouse if he didn't get the last bite of whatever snack they were all sharing. So they tried to make sure that Kensuke got the last bite. This was so specific. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it? yeah, they wrote like a whole uh, paragraph on, uh, she wrote a whole paragraph explaining it. Another rule, rule number five, is after a match, be sure to contact us to make sure everything is okay. It was Hokuto's policy to not contact Kensuke or Nakajima while they were working unless she had something truly urgent to say. So it was up to them to communicate that they were done with the matches and that they were safe and healthy. She got super worried. Even Nakajima casually mentioning that his ankle hurt that day would cause her to fret throughout the entire day. She did understand that they were busy and noted that she was sure Kensuke and Katsuhiko don't overthink it like I do. I thought that was very relatable. I also get very worried for no reason a lot of the time. (laughs) Rule number six was to communicate your daily activities. So sort of ties into rule number five. Rule number seven, you can borrow anyone's clothes except underwear. Rule number eight was coins left on the table belong to the first person who find them. And (laughs) the final rule was a secret condition to joining the family in the first place. And that's if you win over the heart of Kanosuke, you're in. So the secret rule is if Kanosuke says he likes you, you're a member of the family. I truly cannot express enough how wrapped around the finger everyone was to Kanosuke during this time. At the start of Kensuke office, he was about six years old and he's very cute. Um, <laughs> as you watch videos of him, Alicia, he's a very cute boy. Um, and there are many videos and pictures of him spending time with his parents or with Nakajima while Nakajima babysat him. In Shupro number 1364, Nakajima actually discusses his world junior title challenge against brother Yashi and how Kanosuke simply did not approve of Nakajima accepting that challenge and how that was his mistake. He sort of, you know, steps back and he's like, oh, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Um, Nakajima had a very close and precious relationship with uh, both children that persists to even this day with them as adults. I actually have a Kensuke Office DVD that is really fascinating. Uh, The show on it is actually like a show that we're going to discuss in a little bit, but the other parts of the DVD are this very interesting 45-minute bit where Katsukiko takes uh Hokuto Kensuke and the two boys around the city to these different spots it's like a very fancy looking lunch and then a massage parlor and there's some other different things that they do together that are really interesting and like uh I don't think that Hokuto and Sasaki know what they're going to do before they're given a card by Katsuhika who is in a suit most of the time and really like playing host to the family as they go through this it really feels more like a variety show in how they're sending it up but those two little boys are like the scene stealers and everything that they do and it's really fascinating to watch their relationship with Katsuhiko because they're so comfortable with him they they look to him for help they go to him for things I mean like he really is so close to those kids and it's um it's adorable when you watch diamond ring slash kensuke office shows they often are in the ring with people they will often be in the ring with nakajima 
and you can see him kind of uh, corralling them around at, at points too. Like he's really kind of there, uh, you know, he's in charge of them at times. So it's just a really fascinating piece of uh, the dynamics of this family and how it kind of this very real life thing of Nakajima taking care of these two little boys sort of played into their like just daily responsibilities as part of the a wrestling promotion too. Yeah, it's it's interesting that this was very much a real life thing and a real life bond that they have and still have, but it was also sort of their gimmick <laughs> um, in the ring. Like it, it was like their thing is that they were the Kensuke family. And, and as the Kensuke family, their activities expanded to include variety shows. So I sort of, I love that you mentioned that that felt like a variety show because it, it very well might have been, or at least styled as one because they did do a lot of variety shows. In their essay compilation book, Hokuto speaks on this variety show work and how important it was to the well-being of the company. She arranged all of the filming spots herself and had to schedule in filming days. She recollects that even just 30 minutes of tape would require up to three hours of filming time. So balancing this with raising a young family and managing two freelance wrestlers was really time consuming, but she did note that she found it remarkably fun. Kensky's own thoughts on the variety show work were also really interesting. He speaks on it just a little bit in the 2007 article in Shukan Pro Wrestling 1364. He says on making television appearances, if I get a job, I want to do it with all my might, no matter what. I was a putaro, which is a slang term for sort of a listless vagabond or a beggar, in 2003. I was injured. I couldn't compete, and I didn't have a job. I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but I thought I might have to hang myself. I thought I would have to lay down my neck. So I think my joy of being able to work is stronger than others. Besides, if people are interested in the wrestling world by me being on TV, it would be good for the wrestling world. I would also like to enter various worlds myself. The world of television is both a dream job and a real job for me. I'd like to do whatever it takes to make it happen. I want to give everything I have to the best of my ability. This really speaks on a lot of Kensuke's character and work ethic, as well as the philosophy in which he approaches most things in life, including Kensuke office. Something that was particularly important in terms of Kensuke's life philosophy, feelings towards wrestling, and how he treated the dojo was the concept of soul and fighting with all your might. He repeats the quote, with all your might, pretty frequently in these interviews I've read for this episode, and Nakajima actually repeats these words once or twice. When asked about these words in Shu Pro 1364, Kensuke states, it's no good if you save yourself or if you push yourself too far. You have to give it your personal best. Everybody's body is different. Height and weight are different. Muscle tone and volume are different. And skeletal structure is different. They're all different. So what I can do, Raimu, one of the dojo rookies in 2007, may not be able to do. However, we should not just say, I can't do it, when we can't do something. You have to make what you can't do meaningful to you in your own way. I have a feeling that I have to do everything with all my might, 
So when I do something, I do it to the best of my abilities. If I can't show myself, I can't talk about my life in wrestling. Wrestling is not just a competition. It is my life. I don't want to lie about my life. So I don't want it to be glamorous and I don't want to hold anything back. I don't know if the match will be short or long because it's a competition, but I want to live life to the fullest within that time. I'm obsessed with this quote from him. It's really beautiful. And you can feel how intensely he thinks about professional wrestling on a philosophical level. I love that he, that you brought up rather the concept of soul here with Kensuke office and fighting with all your might, because you can see how this concept shows up in his charges later on. You can see how it shows up in Nakajima in Kento Miyahara, who really just referenced this actually after his triple crown defense at the beginning of January. And then also how it shows up in Masakidemiya as well. And it's just so fascinating to see these different components of the quote that you just read and how that was passed on to these people that learned how to wrestle from him. It's just really, really interesting. Yeah, it, it really comes down to his philosophy. And that's something that just carries over and I think a lot of people think of all wrestlers fighting with all their might and their whole soul and that's sort of a component of wrestling in general but there's something to seeing Kensuke fight in the ring and you sort of understand it you sort of get what makes him special and why he sort of has that singular philosophy on fighting with all your might you almost just have to see it to believe it. And you can see it in all of his charges, as you mentioned, like Kento mm-hmm. Miyahara, especially in that match with uh, Takuya Nomura and then uh, Katsuko Nakajima. And then I, I always see it in Masa Kitamiya as well. It's a quality that is really hard to define. And Kensuke does very eloquently put that into words there. But it's something I think that when you're watching people in the ring, you don't really know what you're looking for until it's there. And I think that's the feeling that you get when you're watching a Kensuke Sasaki match. I think that's the feeling you get when you're watching a Kenta Kobashi match, right? It's that same wrestling is my life feeling that those two men can give you. So it was just very interesting to see him put that to words here, because again, I know it when I feel it with people, but I don't think I could have put it to words as eloquently as Kensuke put it there. Yeah, exactly. So on November 15th, 2005, Hokuto fully established Kensuke office, a company to help manage the unit. The members were now affiliated with the Kensuke office and the company would operate as a professional wrestling production company as well as a talent management business. Akira Hokuto, under her shoot name, Hisako Sasaki, was officially appointed as the representative director. This was the first time in Japan that someone from a women's professional wrestling background had been appointed president of a men's wrestling organization. Also of note is that Masa Saito, or Kensuke's father, was appointed as the athletic advisor. Masa Saito was particularly close to Kensuke Sasaki as by the nickname. Kensuke reminisces on this a little in his lovely interview with Shupro number 1295. And I really wanted to read that quote. When I was a new apprentice, 
I lived with Masa-san for about two years. That was when Japan Pro Wrestling split up and I went to New Japan. I lived with Masa-san. At that time, Masa-san was renting an apartment and we stayed together. We talked about wrestling. He told me, you aren't tall enough to fight with me, so build a body that can withstand a beating. And then the two began to train consistently with each other, which is something Fumi Saito talks about beautifully with Justin Nipper during that great episode that you and I love so much for Fight Game Media's Write That Down. Sasaki specifically wanted Saito as an athletic advisor for a number of reasons. Saito represented an era that Kensuke wanted to recreate in the dojo. My desire may be a bit old-fashioned, but I would like to make a wrestling school that has the feel of the old days. I want to create a wrestler with a rugged appearance. There can be beautiful, technical wrestlers, but even in this day and age, there are not many power fighters who focus on strength. I don't want to see that kind of wrestler disappear. He states succinctly, I want to create wrestlers like Masa Saito, which honestly is quite a charming quote in retrospect, looking at Masa Kitamiya and how much of himself he styles and models after Masa Saito. And we'll talk about that a little later in the episode as well. When asked of Sasaki's expectations of Saito as an athlete manager and dojo coach, however, Kensuke reveals that there was an alternative reason for this appointment. He states, I have high expectations for him because of his Olympic wrestling experience, his knowledge of weight training, and his top-notch wrestling speed skills. I have many expectations for him, but while those things are important, what I want to see the most is his smile. Everyone thinks that now that we're a full company, we need to do well. And I think so too. I know this may not be entirely business-minded of me, but I would like to keep in touch with Masa-san as a human being. This appointment did make Saito-san smile, as noted in a truly wonderful interview in April of 2021 for Abema Times with Saito's widow, Satoko. She states that after Saito developed Parkinson's disease, being involved with the dojo was, and I quote, his happiest time. From my point of view, Kensuke's dojo was like a wrestling school for Masa-san. He looked forward to coming to school every day, she states in that article with a laugh. I genuinely think that this shows the thought and care Kensuke had in appointing Saito to the dojo in the first place, and the heart that Kensuke Sasaki truly has. According to Hokuto, during the press conference announcement of Kensuke office, the main business of the company was stated to operate professional wrestling exhibitions, train professional wrestlers, and manage professional wrestlers. Most of its wrestlers participated in other organizations as representatives of Kensuke office. The logo of Kensuke Office was a symbol of the earth and its people. The logo was colored with the green of the earth and the blue of the sky and the sea, with lightning bolts running on both sides of the heart-shaped earth. According to the opening of a special from Shupro issue number 1364, Camping to One's Heart Content, the logo represents the natural fear of nature and the latent strength of human beings. With the establishment of the company, it was announced that the company would build its own building, which would consist of a dojo, dormitory, restaurant, and office in Yoshikawa City, Saitama Prefecture, 
Hokuto's hometown. In Shupro 1295, Hokuto stated that the company would conduct strict auditions for trainees, adopting the system of all Japan women's pro wrestling, the company that Hokuto is most known for working in. She talks about how the system included tests even after initially being brought into the dojo. Should they fail the test, they would be dismissed immediately from the dormitories. In that same shoe pro, Kensuke even jokes that if Nakajima did not do well in their first singles match against each other, he would dismiss Nakajima from the dorm, stating, well, if he doesn't pass the test, maybe I'll ask him to leave. Then he will be desperate, won't he? He laughs. But no matter how much I want him to pass, I have no intention of lowering the standard. This was the type of dojo both Sasaki and Hokuto wanted to run one that pushed trainees to become their strongest selves. When asked what kind of wrestling is done in the Kensuke Office Dojo in April 2007's Shoe Pro Special on Kensuke Office, Sasaki answers, painful, intense, and demanding. There's nothing easy in it. You have to work hard in matches. You have to work hard in practice, and you have to work hard in play. It's all the same. There's no one thing that is easier than the other. So it's okay to do stupid things and talk about stupid things, but don't stray from yourself. It goes for everything. If you have a feeling of giving up, everything will become like that. In a number of interviews, Nakashima has looked back on some of his memories training in the dojo and how strict it could be in various points. In a fantastic interview from July 2017 with Mugiko Aozaki, while Misawaism remains strong, how does Katsuhiko Nakajima face Noah? He mentions how tough practices were with Sasaki. He states, he was very tough. In our private life, he was totally gentle. But when it came to work, he was strict about everything. Practice, courtesy, and so on. I think the most strict was probably etiquette. He taught me the angle of my bow and other things like this. He would say, bow with your head this low. And indeed, if you watch old Kensuke office matches, every single member of the dojo would bow their head at the exact same angle every single time. In a touching 2021 interview for Yahoo Sports with interviewer Takahiro Fukudome, Nakajima touches on the toughness of the practices, not just with Saki, but with Masa Saito as well, reminiscing, just like Sasaki, Masasan also had a tough, basic physical strength in practice. There were a lot of squats in particular. I did about 1,000 every day. It took about 40 minutes to complete them all, and I was often told to make my body bigger because I was small. However, despite this strictness, there was a gentleness that was carried on outside of practice, and Nakashima makes note of that with Ozaki, as previously mentioned but he also discusses it in that 2021 interview, going so far to say that Saki and Hokuto being there, I quote, saved him and kept him from wanting to run away and give up. He particularly cites Hokuto's cooking and encouragement as something that really helped him out through the grueling practices in the dojo. He also shares an incredibly sweet story about him and Masa Saito. After practice, we would eat chanko together as tradition. Masasan loved sweets, but he could not eat them because it was not good for his health. His wife got mad if he ate sweets, but
but if there was cake or something, he would say, but I want to eat it. I would reply with, Masa-san, would you like some? And when I served him the cake, he laughed and said, don't tell anyone. Moments like this, as well as many other videos and stories of the Kensuke family, paint a full picture of both an old-fashioned dojo and a loving household, and just a very multifaceted family. I believe in that article as well, the author points out that Nakajima was very close to Masasaito up until Masasaito's death, really. We're going to point this out throughout the rest of the episode too, but the bonds this family makes together of all these different people from different backgrounds sort of coming together, uh, including the relationship Nakajima struck with the uh, Sasaki children. These are relationships that have lasted and stood the test of time. Um, And it's just very, um, again, I think that these quotes are just very humanizing. It's just a very unique part of the wrestling industry in Japan. There's really no one quite like these group of people that came together. Yeah, from the very beginning with Tenru reaching out to give advice and then Masa Saito being included into the dojo and then of course all of Nakajima's connections with these people and and just going forward into uh, the other dojo trainees becoming friends and you know where they are now there really just isn't anything quite like Kensuke office and diamond ring and we'll talk about that throughout the episode but you're right it's very human it's extremely human According to Hokuto, the original plan for the company building was revised due to earthquake codes and other reasons. As a result, the structure was changed to include a dojo on the first floor and offices and dormitories on the second and third floors. As for the restaurant, a plan to lease a separate restaurant was announced. In addition, a blog for Kensuke Office was produced and managed by a Meiba blog and was frequently updated by Hokuto and other members of Kensuke office. Hokuto is an extremely prolific blogger. Like even to this day, she has her own blog that she updates multiple times a day. So she was very, very uh, good at keeping the Kensuke office blog up to date. Even if you just follow her on Instagram, she is so good at letting you know exactly what she's doing, exactly what Kensuke is doing, exactly what the children are doing. Um, Ken's wife, like she will tell you everything that's going on with that family. She is the master at this. Yeah, she's really active on TikTok and YouTube as well. It's really impressive. (laughs) (laughs) On February 11th, 2006, Kensuke Sasaki held an independent event called Kensuke Sasaki 20th Anniversary Tournament at Currican Hall with the full cooperation of All Japan Pro Wrestling. Ticket pre-sales and match card announcements were made at the All Japan Kurkin Hall event on January 2nd, 2006. During these announcements, it was revealed that the main event would be Kenta Kobashi and Kensuke Sasaki versus Genichiro Tenryu and Katsuko Nakajima. The response to that main event was absolutely massive, and tickets sold out immediately. This surprised even Hokuto who reminisced on the booking of that event in one of the essays in the Kensuke family book. When it came to making the card for the main event, Hokuto stated that it was relatively easy to request Tenru, or Tensan, to participate and to tag with Nakajima. But when Hokuto asked Kensuke about who his own tag partner would be for the match, Kensuke quickly answered, Kobashi, which puzzled Hokuto. (laughs) 
when Hokuto approached pro wrestling Noah about participating, both Noah and Kobashi readily agreed. In addition, all Japan's Fumito Kihara, who was scheduled to serve as ring announcer, was unable to participate due to health problems. So Hokuto approached Noah's Ru Nakata at the last minute to serve as ring announcer. Nakata, like Kobashi, readily agreed. This meant that the top referee and main ring announcer of all Japan in the era of Shiteno Pro Wrestling, commonly known as King's Road era to foreign fans, referee Kohei Wada and ring announcer Ryu Nakata would now be able to work together once again. This built a lot of buzz for the show, and I thought it was just really interesting that Hokuto brought up the fan response to that. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. <laughs> The event was a huge success, with over 2,000 people gathered in Currican Hall for the show. Later in the year, on November 29, 2006, a press conference was held, in which Hokuto declared that Kensuke Office would evolve from a wrestling production company to a full-blown professional wrestling organization, and announced that it would hold its flagship show on February 11, 2007. It was also officially announced that Takadai University's Ryu Yamaguchi, a Greco-Roman champion, would join the organization through an introduction by Hiroshi Hase. Kensuke, in Shupro number 1364, sort of discusses and talks a little bit about Yamaguchi, and, and you know, since he didn't make it very far in his career, I wanted to highlight him just a little bit. And he describes Yamaguchi as being a bit of a goofball, speaking on him as such. Ruji joined the dojo for the first time. He came in with his sensei, and the three of us talked. He seemed like a really serious guy, but Ryuji said, I'm a mood maker. I didn't get it at the time. He seemed so fearless and serious. But what does it mean to be a mood maker? But, you know, he was just like that when Hokuto and I first met him. After a day or so, he would then joke around and do stupid dances. I was like, you're doing this? Really, you idiot. And he laughs. <laughs> Sadly, however, Yamaguchi was forced to retire on May 15, 2008, due to injury. Kensuke Office changed its business from professional wrestling management company to professional wrestling organization, as I discussed, and held its first own show, Kensuke Office, Kensuke Flagship Show. Take the Dream Volume 1, Grab the Dream, <laughs> on February 11, 2007 at Differ Araki. Yeah, quite a name. <laughs> uh, the main event was Kensuke Sasaki versus Katsuko Nakashima. The show was broadcast on TV, buying TV Tokyo's late night slot. In her 2006 ShuPro interview, Hokuto commented on getting the TV rights for this show, like almost a year in advance. I want people to see Kensuke fighting, not the gentle Kensuke they see on variety shows. Before this match, Kensuke speaks to Shu Pro in issue 1295 about how this came to be. I had been joking with Katsuhiko about the possibility of a singles match with him. Katsuko laughed and then said, no way, I will die. <laughs> I think he has the basics pretty much down so now it's time to move on to the next step. If he learns how scary wrestling really is, I think he will be able to take it to the next level. For me, the cuter the guy, the scarier I get. 
I don't think I've ever seen him express the kind of fear I'm thinking of, even when we are tag team partners. I think Katsuhiko will peel off his skin when he fights me. I really want him to break out of his shell. He then continues. This time, I want him to taste Kensuke Sasaki's chops to the fullest. But I think Katsuhiko will also feel the fear of other things besides chops. Just by facing each other, I think he will be able to understand how scary it is. That's how I feel about it. When asked if he thought that Nakajima could withstand this fear mentally and physically, Kensuke was rather unsure. Right now, in my mind, it's 50-50. I hope he can endure it. If you can endure it, you will be able to break out of your shell as a pro wrestler. If not, I don't think there will be any change. It's a big gamble. Kensuke won the match with a Northern Lights bomb, which is the finisher that his wife had previously made famous. According to Fumi Saito in the Write That Down episode on Kensuke Sasaki, Kensuke loved this move and thought that it needed to be brought into the world of men's wrestling. And I just thought that was a really cute detail. It's so cool. It's like one of the cooler parts of him and Hokuto as a, like a relationship, as a partnership, that he thought his wife's move was so awesome. He wanted to pay tribute to her and bring it to men's wrestling. That There is like not a cooler fact possibly about Kensuke Sasaki. And that's hard because he's really cool. He is really cool. And it, it's a really good move too. And I actually did find out that Akira Hokuto uses um, or used Kensuke's stranglehold gamma as well. So they mm-hmm. switch rated. Yeah, I thought that was really cute. I didn't know that previously. Um, but yeah, it's it's super, super cool. And um, yeah, the thing is, is like he had her teach him the move and everything. So it's it's just good. I just love that it shows how much he respected her not just because he was in a relationship with her and they have I mean we didn't even really get into like how they met and how quickly they got married and all of that but it just shows you how much he respected her as a wrestler as an artist and I just love that I think that's incredible oh yeah it's it's really great and their relationship is just really good and strong and built on that sort of respect and that trust after the match, in an April 2007 interview, Katsuko touches very briefly on his own thoughts on that match. I went into that match with the intention of going beyond my Oyaji, so I hope that my feelings were conveyed to the audience. I am glad that Hokuto-san saw it and said that it was a Kensuke office match. I think I was able to show everything I have done for the past three years, and I also feel that I was able to get a little closer to my Oyaji through the match. I hope that I can continue to close the distance between us little by little without ever expanding it and one day surpass him. He lost the match, but he resolved to continue forward towards a future where one day he could beat Kensuke Sasaki and surpass him, making him proud. I'll note here that Kensuke and Nakajima, they fought twice in singles matches. And I think the more popular opinion is that the 2014 one is better. But I do believe based off of Kensuke's sort of bar that he gave Nakajima the clear for this match, so to speak, I do think that Nakajima got there. I mean, it's a very intense match. I think that it gets a little bit plotting towards the end, even though I think that it's not necessarily about 
what they're doing in the ending stretch so much so much as what Nakajima is displaying. I think that is the point of that part of the match. But I'm curious, do you think that Nakajima sort of met Kensuke's expectations of him for that earlier singles match? I do. I do. I'm, I'm glad you asked me that because reading these quotes and sort of understanding, I guess, the plot of that match made me enjoy it a lot more on a uh, second watch because I had watched that match a, a while ago, probably about a year or two ago now. Um, and then rewatching it now, knowing sort of the idea was for Nakajima to face fear and show what Kensuke office could do and what Kensuke office was about in their flagship show it really made it all click a lot more and I I like that you brought up that ending stretch because I think that's exactly what it was is that Kensuke and Nakajima were trying to um, show who they were not only to themselves but to the audience and and sort of to show what Nakajima maybe not right now is capable of but will be capable of what he was showing you said that beautifully no I agree with you I think that's so great that you that you framed it that way I keep coming back to I think Katsuhiko will peel off his skin when he fights with me it was so interesting to sit with that quote this time around because I've seen the match a few times but I didn't have the quote when I watched it previously but then watching it again with that in mind it was like you can see that in exactly what he was able to get Nakajima to do and you can sort of see what he was getting Nakajima to start building toward and it's great to have that in mind if you give that match a second watch for those of you listening yeah absolutely go in and seek that out whether it's your first viewing or um you've seen it before because I do think it it paints a, a different picture and you can sort of see Nakajima kind of shedding himself as uh Kensuke beautifully said there <laughs> uh, he he likes to use that phrase quite a lot which was a little uh graphic for me but it, it does give the image of of shedding yourself and being born anew and and that's what they were really looking for out mm-hmm. of Nakajima. also of note in the semifinals of this flagship show Raimu Mishima, a young wrestler who had left Dragon Gate and wished to join Kensuke office, was assessed in a singles match against Satoshi Kojima. The assessment was to be made by spectator's decision, and although Mishima lost the match, he was accepted by the crowd and joined the Kensuke office. Sadly, this was Mishima's last match with the Kensuke office as Mishima suffered from a cervical hernia after the match and was absent starting in April. And he eventually officially left Kensuke office on June 25th and retired from wrestling. Before this sad ending, however, Mishima and Ryuji Yamaguchi were both able to accompany Sasaki, Hokuto, Nakajima, and their two young sons, Kenosuke and Senosuke, on a trip to the Fiji Islands. Thanks to their appearances on variety shows, Sasaki and Hokuto were invited to Fiji twice a year as Fiji Tourism Goodwill Ambassadors. On April 2nd, 2004, they traveled to the islands and brought three of their trainees there to do a training camp until April 7th. It is important to note that at this time, they actually had five trainees, so they had two other trainees in the dojo, Takashi Okuta and Kento Miyahara. They were both brand new to the dojo at this time, and they were asked to stay behind and not go to Fiji so they could practice more. Oh, well, that's what (laughs) happens. 
<laughs> Poor Kento. <laughs> While in Fiji, the boys trained for hours at a time. There was one point the writer of the Kensuke Office special in Shupro issue number 1364 writes, where the trainees and Sasaki did a sumo competition on the beach and several locals gather around to watch them. Akira Hokuto acted as referee for the match, and the writer points out that she is a natural choice for a referee because she is, and I quote, the one who works best with Kensuke, which I just thought was sweet. Several moments of this trip were filmed as a part of being tourism ambassadors, and the footage was shown on TV Tokyo. This footage is really fun because you can see parts of their training, as well as the boys showing off for the locals. Uh, Nakajima is particularly like on this. <laughs> it, it's very funny to watch because he, he gets up there, he does the splits, he starts doing like a kick routine, and, and there's a whole bunch of school children that are applauding for him. Um, it's, yeah. But it's a, just a really good picture of what this trip was like and a really good moment for everyone involved. After returning from the trip, the writer of this article did sit down with Nakajima and noted that it seemed like he had a good time and discussed what it was like now having five new trainees to the Kensuke office dojo. Nakajima replies with, I'm having a lot of fun and in the training as well. There used to be a lot of two-person or one-person teams, but now we are all working together and competing against each other, so it's a lot of fun. He then goes on to talk about how his role in the dojo has changed in the past year or two, and at this point, he was a senior member in the dojo to five juniors and officially held the role as dojo manager. My main role is to teach the newcomers about dojo and etiquette. I was taught by Sasaki-san and Saito-san, and I have grown up watching their backs. Now I am in a position to show my back to others, so I have to make sure I am firm. I feel responsible for them. If I don't do my job properly with Yamaguchi or the others, it'll be my responsibility, and I will tarnish the reputation of Sasaki-san. He was only 19 at the time of saying this. So you really get a clear picture of the kind of weight young Nakashima held on his shoulders as the dojo manager and young ace, as it were, of Kensuke office. The interviewer even notes this, asking him, so you can no longer use the excuse that you are young. Nakashima responds with, yes, that's right. In terms of age, Mishima-san and Yamaguchi are older than me, but age has nothing to do with it. Yamaguchi may have made it to the top as an amateur wrestler, but I think Amuresu is completely different. I think I know more about that than he does, so I have to teach him about it. And he's kind of right. He started his career so young. It's just remarkable that this 19-year-old is holding such a senior position in a dojo and talking this way, but this was, you know, this was a significant part of his life. Yeah, I think it sort of goes back to what we were saying. It's, it's important to note just how young he was and, um, you know, what, what that did for him. But uh, yeah, he's, I mean, he is right. He knows a lot about this and it, it was his job to teach. And he, he did enjoy doing it, but there was definitely a weight that he held. On September 1st, 2007, Take the Dream Volume 2, A New Dream, was held at Dipper Ariaki. 
The main event was a title match between Katsuko Nakajima and Ring of Honor heavyweight champion Takeshi Morishima of NOAA. For his own match, Kensuke transformed back into his power warrior gimmick that he used in New Japan and formed the tag team Hell Warriors with Animal Warrior. Animal Warrior and Kensuke Sasaki had both teamed up with Hawk Warrior in the past. Animal Warrior, of course, with the Road Warriors and Kensuke Sasaki in a team called Hellraisers. So Hell Warriors was their little tribute to that connection by combining their two tag team names. They ended up facing down the Voodoo Murders team of Shuji Kondo and Brother Yashi. Ryuji Yamaguchi also made his wrestling debut against Suwama. On February 11th, 2008, Kensuke Office celebrated its first anniversary as an official wrestling promotion with their third Take the Dream show, Take the Dream Volume 3. This show was headlined by a huge eight-man tag match between Sasaki, Tenru, Minoru Suzuki, Yoshihiro Takayama, and Akutoshi Saito, Shinjiro Otami, Koshiaki Kawada, and Yukito Yoshi. The opening bout to this show, however, is also of interest as it marks the debut of one of the most notable alumni from the Kensuke Dojo, Kento Miyahara. In this match, Miyahara lost to AJPW representative Seiya Sonata in just over 10 minutes. Kento, however, was an incredibly promising rookie during his years wrestling with Kensuke Office and Diamond Ring and made many appearances for different companies, including some standout matches in Pro Wrestling NOAA. An August 2013 article written for Tokyo Sports pointed out that through the early stages of his career, Kento was often speculated to become the second Kensuke Sasaki. And you can see this in a lot of his moveset and mannerisms, especially in older matches. He really was more or less a super rookie. When you go back to his earliest matches within like even the first few months of him debuting in February of that year, it's hard to tell that he is that new to wrestling. Kento does have a background in judo, which probably has helped him or had helped him rather at the time transition into the dojo life. He probably had an understanding of Ukemi through um, doing dojo and that I'm sure helped him. But you would not believe that he was so new to professional wrestling with the way that he performs. And it's not just the wrestling. He is performing already in those earliest matches. You can see he's not the Kento we know today, but you can see him, and especially in his Noah work, um, you can see him starting to figure out character in those matches. And it's just utterly fascinating. That's really impressive. I am surprised every single time I watch one of those early matches. In his interview with Ozaki, Nakajima is actually asked about young Kento Miyahara and what it was like growing up in the dojo with him. Nakajima replies with, Kento was one year younger than me, and he was my junior. He was a hard worker. I remember him writing down all the practice menus and stuff. I thought that was amazing. I don't plan so much. I make decisions on the spot, taking into account my physical condition and other factors. If I don't like it, I don't do it. Kento is the type of person who says, I have to do this at the right time or something like that. He doesn't look like it, but he's a very detailed guy, he says with a laugh. 
I thought that was a uh, very interesting character detail for both of them, actually. Oh, it's so illuminating for both of them. <laughs> yeah. and we're, we're getting to a point where that's becoming very relevant. So. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely be talking about that later. Um, oh, yeah, we will. Towards the end, so. Until mid-2008, the company was affiliated with All Japan Pro Wrestling, where its wrestlers would appear in addition to holding their own major events. After that, they were mainly affiliated with Pro Wrestling NOAA. While those were its main sort of uh, home-based operations, the company also participated in other organizations. As a result, many of the fighters were effectively treated as freelancers or outsiders, like you mentioned so beautifully, Alicia. I stated this before, but during this time, Nakashima and Kensuke particularly would show up in almost every promotion imaginable, especially Nakashima, including matches in DDT, Ring of Honor, Michinoku Pro, Dragon Gate, Zero One, and just many others. Kensuke Office put on seven NOAA crossover shows with their developmental brand known at the time as SEM. These ran from April 30th, 2008 to March 11th, 2009. These shows featured both Kensuke Dojo wrestlers as well as frequent roster members of the SEM shows, such as Kenta, Naomichi Marafuji, Kaiji Ishimori, Ipe Oda, and Atsushi Aoki. Other young talents from other companies also featured in these shows, making them feel like a true marriage of the Kensuke office and SEM brands. They even had their own one-day tag team tournament on December 15, 2008, known as Volcano X SEM Tag Tournament, and their own super show of sorts on December 15, 2008, which was called SEM EX in Currican Hall, Take the Dream, Volume 6. So it was another show on the Take the Dream series of shows, as well as a NOAA crossover show. The main event of this was an eight-man tag team survival match, which was absolutely fantastic, featuring Katsuko Nakajima, Kensuke Sasaki, Kento Miyahara, and Takashi Okuta versus Akihiko Ito, Atsushi Aoki, Kenta, and Kento Kabashi. They also put on several major events. I talked about a few of the first ones just a little bit ago, but in total, there were 35 shows in their Take the Dream series of shows, which is the name of their main series that they ran while they were operating under the name Kensuke Office. Starting in 2009, you start to see a real uptick in Kensuke Office shows as they start to tour around several different prefectures and a lot of different areas in Japan including ones that don't really see a lot of wrestling shows in their area, which I thought was really neat. I love when companies do that. These shows all had a pretty basic formula to their booking. They would start with a comedy match to open up, and then they would have one or two matches to showcase their own younger and up-and-coming talent, as well as younger talent from other companies or young freelancers. And then the last couple of matches would generally be these hard-hitting bangers with some really impressive names like Minoru Suzuki, Jun Akiyama, Kenta Kabashi, and of course, Genichiro Tenryu. In addition to these shows, Kensuke Office put on several dojo shows every month known as hometown matches. The first show, 
simply called Kensuke Office Hometown Match, was held on June 3rd, 2007 in their home base of Yoshikawa, Saitama, Japan. Starting the next year, on February 16th, 2008, these shows became known as a part of a series called Take the Future. These shows usually consisted of two or three matches featuring the dojo's young talent and some newer talent being brought in either freelance or from other companies. Though none of these shows were ever taped, information on them and the match cards were found on the Kensuke Office blog, which I mentioned is very, very, very um, closely maintained by Hope. Speaking of the dojo, the Kensuke Office Dojo brought on a new trainee named Mitsuhiro Kitamiya in early 2011. An article written on June 17, 2021 by the Shupro Editorial Department for BBM Japan eloquently states that in January of 2011, Kitamiya knocked on the gate of Kensuke Office, introduced to the dojo by Hiroshi Hase. He auditioned officially with his introductory test on January 30th, 2011, which was stated to be tough, but Kitamiya worked hard and passed. Kitamiya would go on to debut on September 25th, 2011 against Satoshi Kajiwara in a losing effort. Something really worth noting about Kitamiya, however, was his special and unique bond with Masa Saito in particular. I mentioned earlier that he came to become the next Masa Saito in a lot of his moves and taking on the name Masa and the way he styles himself visually. However, Saito never referred to Kitamiya as a trainee or a student. The way Saito's wife explains their bond is as two kindred spirits. She states that he saw Kiyomiya as, and I quote, a schoolmate who loved pro wrestling as much as him. She says, from Masa-san's point of view, Kiyomiya is about the age of his grandson, but there was no such generational barrier at all. Going on to recall Kiyomiya asking to inherit the name Masa, a request that Masa-san responded to almost immediately. And I know you stated this before, Alicia, but the bonds that were formed in Kensuke office, Diamond Ring, are things that just simply cannot be overlooked. And they are things that remain important, be it through rivalries, connections, or even memories, like Kitamiya carrying on the memory of Masa Saito to this day. I love that he viewed them as kindred spirits. That terminology there is just so incredibly touching that age wasn't a barrier he just saw something in him and it goes back to that thing about souls right that Kensuke was talking about he's specifically referring to wrestling there Kensuke was but you can see some of that in I think what Masa and uh, Masa-san rather and Kinemiya kind of you know found in each other that like soul connection that just is really lovely and just touching to reflect on really is it really is On January 11th, 2012, it was announced that the name of the company's shows would be changed from Kensuke Office Box Office to Diamond Ring, starting with the February 11th, 2012 event at Currican Hall, and that wrestling-related business would also be reorganized under the same name. However, the company name would remain Kensuke Office. In other words, 
Penske office was the company that managed the wrestlers and talent and oversaw athletic training and conducted pro wrestling related business. And Diamond Ring was its pro wrestling promotion operation. Their first show under the Diamond Ring banner was that Hurricane Hall show on February 11th, 2012. So just two years before the promotion had their last big show. This show boasted a really impressive card, including a stunning tag match between Jun Akiyama and Kento Kabashi versus Kensuke Sasaki and Mitsuhiro Kitamiya. However, this wasn't the main event. The main event was Katsuko Nakajima versus Shingo Takagi. Immediately, you can tell the visual difference between Kensuke office shows and Diamond Ring shows. The color theming was completely different changing the bright neon greens and blues for a dark blue and silver color palette. The logo changed as well, becoming the image of a wrestling ring in the shape of a diamond. The promotion had an entirely different look and presentation. Even the camera work changed to include more dramatic panning around the ring during entrances. However, the card layout largely stayed the same as evidenced by those last two matches of that first Diamond Ring branded show. They still had that sort of Kensuke office, big name, big match, like hard hitting kind of feel. A year later, on February 11th, 2013, Kento Miyahara left the company. This was played out in the ring as a big angle that started during Diamond Ring Dream Anniversary. Taru and Voodoo Murders had infiltrated diamond ring as eloquently described by a transcription found on tokyo sports after an eight-man tag match taru attempted to sway kento miyahara to betray his family of the kensuke office to join bdm stating kensuke and nakajima will always rank over you i'll be here to help you miyahara with dramatic hesitation finally cried out diamond ring farewell (laughs) and rebelled against his home promotion he then stated on mic this is serious i can't just play family with you guys forever bidding farewell to kensuke hokuto and nakajima (laughs) i was so surprised with how like almost Uh, this was like it's so it's such an angle (laughs) it's such an angle and more relevant than ever as we march toward KG Muto's retirement in February. Actually, it is already February, so in a couple of weeks even. So uh, it's so interesting to return to this because you I've been harping on this for as long as you've known me and even before that. <laughs> Obviously, there's a, so many rumors of tension between Katsuhiko Nakajima and Kento Miyahara. And for as long as I've been a fan of either of them and really been invested in in researching this stuff and looking these things up. So now several years, I've only ever been able to find a whole lot of hearsay and only one set of quotes that are attributed to Kento, but it's always the same sort of screenshot of text that has no citations, not attributed to anything. No one can tell you if it's from a promo, if it's from shoe pro, if it's from, Tokyo sports, no one can tell you where it's from, but it's the same hearsay 
on every message board and every Reddit thread that gets passed around. It's on Twitter. You know, it's and it's fascinating because I felt for a long time now after I've kind of gone in circles trying to figure out, well, what what was said publicly that made people feel like there's been such horrific tension between these two that they can't even get in a room together even though I can see Nakajima liking Kento's photos on Instagram <laughs> and these two absolutely took photos together at the Tokyo Sports Awards when Nakajima was GHG heavyweight champion what is where where is the source of these comments and what I think has happened and you know we're going to reference Fumi and Justin I think throughout this entire episode but Fumi and Justin describe this as like the classic game of telephone that occurs in Perez where you have something that occurs in Perez that's said and once or happens once and then how it comes over to us then is is different and changes over time until whatever originally happened no one can even remember anymore what we have on the other side is totally different so what I think happened is I'm sure Kento said a lot of things in character while he was in Voodoo Murders about Nakajima. It certainly makes sense uh, yeah. that he would say things about Nakajima because the whole angle after he uh, you know, left Kensuke office is that you know he's joined this heel group in, in Voodoo Murders, which people I think are very familiar with by now. He joins this heel group and he doesn't want to stand in Nakajima's shadow anymore, of course. And, you know, why wouldn't he say things about Nakajima to the press or to wherever, right? To build this very obvious angle between them. So I think people are getting worked over time by this angle and it's devolved into me having to read people saying, well, they just might kill each other, even though there's never any evidence of any of that. Um, so yeah, it's fascinating. I think that a lot of the basis for people believing that these two hate each other so much is from this angle, from Kento leaving Kensuke office and uh, or Diamond Ring at that point, joining Voodoo Murders and playing a very heel character for a few months up until he left Voodoo Murders when he signed officially full time with All Japan. So those are my thoughts <laughs> on um, these swirling rumors and everything. Obviously, if you're listening and you have um, I don't know, citations, something something that can be actually sourced to Kento that was said during this whole time period that is not part of a gimmick, let us know. We'd love to see it. But I just have never been able to find it. And I genuinely believe that a lot of these comments were said in character. But again, over time, it's that game of telephone. People forget where these things came from. They don't watch the matches or don't have access to them. And they don't know where to attribute them other than uh, that there's some heated, horrible feud that stemmed from the dojo days between Kento and Nakajima. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And it's my thoughts as well. Um, and it's it's just really interesting because I think watching this back, I think I expected it to be a little more intense than it really was because it's really just, a, it, it's such a wrestling angle. You know what I'm saying? Um, so watching it again and watching this, this happen, it was so obviously just like a gimmick and an angle. And yet all of these rumors were started and it, it's just incredibly interesting to me how these games of telephone as beautifully put by Fumi and uh, Justin can really take hold in the wrestling community and not just the international wrestling community because um, the um, the Japanese community also sort of 
is beholden to a lot of these rumors, as beautifully stated in uh, Keno's recent YouTube videos where he talks about them as well. Well, I think some of that is rather intentional, right? Because there's a lot of matches on this KG Muto card going into February, but the one that keeps, I think that I've seen at least on my timeline getting talked about the most is this Congo versus all Japan Mm -hmm. match because people are so interested in finding out what Kento Miyahara and Katsuhiko Nakajima are going to do once they get in front of each other. And it's really, it's really smart to sort of let people take these rumors and sort of give life to them. They haven't even had to do anything for years. Those rumors have just sort of, you know, taken a life of their own. And again, like you can see Nakajima liking Kento's photos. (laughs) You can see the photos of them at the Tokyo Sports Awards together. I mean, they didn't kill each other then. So Again, like it's it's just interesting to see how the fan base on both sides of the ocean, so to speak, can again give these rumors a life of their own. And these guys haven't really had to do anything up until really the cage match with Nakajima and Masa, and then Keno sort of narrating that and giving them like some new life to those, um, you know, dojo Kensuke office rumor stuff um, to again sell that match to build intrigue and kind of bring that stuff up, but. It just seems like based off of how everybody's feeding into this and how they're all participating in different ways, a lot of cooperation there. So it's just a endlessly fascinating little plot as we march toward KG Muto's retirement. And I think we're we're going to talk about that at the end of the episode as well, because there it's just really interesting, like you said, and um, you, you raise a really good point how these rumors sort of create the story almost for them and then seeing how they sort of work with that or or don't work with that uh in very interesting ways so we'll we'll definitely revisit that so moving on we're now in uh 2014 on february 11th 2014 kensuke retired after losing to katsuko nakajima at Kurikan hall and that match is stupendous. Um, you mentioned before that most people prefer the 2014 match. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm definitely one of those people. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was, uh, that match is just absolutely stunning. Um, and then Kensuke does announce his retirement. And he retires officially two days later on February 13th. On March 4th. Kensuke office president Akira Hokuto held a press conference at the dojo in Yoshikawa, Saitama. She announced that Mitsuhiro Kitamiya will officially move to NOAA in April and Toshi Kajiwara, uh, wishing to challenge himself in other areas of wrestling, was released from his own contract with the company on February 11th. This left Nakajima as the only remaining member of Diamond Ring and Hokuto announced that the organization would suspend all activities until further notice, starting after the March 3rd and 9th dojo shows. However, she did state, as reported in Daily Sports on March 5th, that if Nakajima wishes to hold a diamond ring show somewhere, then the company would fully back him up. The last official diamond ring match was held on March 9th, 2014, and was a singles match between Katsuko Nakajima and Mitsuhiro Kitamiya, the pair we would later know as the aggression. I think there's a real poetry in these two being the last two left to the promotion and the last singles match the promotion ever had. 
And I'm sure we will talk about the weight and significance of this even more during our next episode, which will focus on these two and their rivalry. Nakajima was with Kensuke Office and Diamond Ring for 11 years, from the ages 16 to 27. In her 2017 interview, Mugiko Ozaki asked him why he never left during that time, and he responds with, In my heart, it was the only place for me. I chose that place for myself. Kensuke Office was a really small organization. We only had about six members. So when we put on a show, we all set up the ring together. Because we had a small number of people, we were able to share the joy together. However, on July 31st, 2015, Nakashima left Diamond Ring officially and the organization ceased to function. When asked why by Ozaki, Nakashima states that it was actually Sasaki's idea. Sasaki-san said to me, why don't you go freelance? If it hadn't been for Sasaki's words, I don't think I ever would have quit. This speaks to the love and loyalty that Nakajima truly holds towards Kensuke Sasaki and his legacy. And to this day, he seeks to uphold that legacy as a signed pro wrestling NOAA member. As seen in a lot of his recent work, such as his 60-minute draw with Keno on November 28, 2021, and his fantastic match with Go Shiyazaki on January 1st, 2022. You know, we've talked about Shotaro Ashino on other episodes of Kick Out and how he still sort of wears the ethos of his now defunct faction, Anfans Tarib, the way that, you know, someone would wear a dog tag around their neck, right? Doesn't matter that the faction is, is gone and he's moved on to something else. He's in Gunyar Anarchy now but he still wears that ethos of that faction, you know, very close to his chest. And I've never considered before, you know, really sitting with these quotes from Nakajima now, just how close those two philosophies from them are, right? It's very similar in that Nakajima really was prepared to carry Kensuke office with him. And I think in a lot of ways, like you've, you've demonstrated here, he still does, but in the name, he was prepared to carry that with him for forever until Kensuke Sasaki kind of stepped in and had him maybe reframe his next steps in his career. But that is very similar to me in the mentality and very striking. And I do find it really beautiful that Nakajima has landed himself in the wrestling uh, unit, Congo, which of course means diamond. And Keno actually mentions this as well in a February 8th issue of Shoe Pro, where he talks about um, the importance of February 11th and the importance of Diamond Ring and Kensuke office in Nakajima and sort of points out the poetry that Nakajima is, and the exact quote is, still a diamond, a uh, facet of himself. And um, I think I think that's really kind of great that he found a way to sort of carry the diamond of diamond ring in name as well in, in his spirit and his philosophy. Yeah. It's a beautiful point too. Since then, Kensuke office has remained a legal entity as a management production for Kensuke and Hokuto. They both still make appearances in variety shows, scripted TV shows, movies, and commercials. Recently, they both starred in a commercial for the kitchen and home goods company, Takara standard 
which first aired in October 2022. They also played a married couple in the October 30th, 2021 movie, No Money for Retirement. I'll say here too, I've seen pictures of them like on red carpets for events. Like these two have a celebrity status that is utterly fascinating um, for, you know, for their former career for being professional wrestlers. There really aren't a lot of very, very famous professional wrestlers anymore, especially working. But these two have really found a way to make themselves celebrities in, you know, completely different industries now, which I find just fascinating. Yeah, it's really impressive. Um, And in addition to doing this like movie work and uh, film TV show work, Hokuto also launched a clothing brand for dogs on September 16th, 2021 (laughs) called Corazon a name she picked because it means heart in Spanish, stating in a press interview that it stands for the heart connection that we feel with our pets. And indeed, she and her husband are huge pet lovers with four bulldogs that they frequently film for Hokuto's incredibly popular YouTube channel, which also features recipe videos. So while neither of them appear at wrestling shows frequently, if at all in the case of Sasaki, Hokuto has made two appearances in the last couple of years. She was involved in the launch and management of Assemble, a collaborative promotion of women's wrestling companies in Japan that runs very infrequent shows. In an interview with Tokyo Sports, Hokuto stated that she called for unity across all these companies in order to overcome the corona disaster in late 2020. The first Assemble show was held on October 1st, 2020. She also made an appearance for Sendai Girls the same year on November 29th, 2020, aiming to cheer everyone up amidst the COVID crisis and also to celebrate the four-year anniversary of her overcoming breast cancer. According to Fumi Saito in Write That Down's Kensuke Sasaki episode, While Kensuke is not active in the wrestling business anymore and does not make appearances for shows, he is still a fan of wrestling and keeps up for it and is still in shape. This is very apparent in the videos and photos he appears in with his wife, often surrounded by their bulldogs and always smiling as warmly as ever. On April 13th, 2022, Kensuke and Hokuto's eldest son, Kinosuke, married marvelous wrestler Rin Kotakura. On her blog, Hokuto mentioned that she had always wanted a daughter, but only had two sons, and is very happy for her son to have married a, and I quote, a woman she can call her daughter. So to sort of bring this home, I wanted to sort of reflect on what Kensuke office, Kensuke family was, and also where we're sort of at in the world of wrestling today. And wrestling companies coming and going with the times isn't really an unusual thing, uh, especially in Japan. You see it all the time with these promotions suddenly opening and suddenly closing. But I can safely say that there is no company quite like Kensuke Office Diamond Ring. It's truly remarkable how Hokuto and Sasaki worked truly from the ground up, starting with absolutely nothing. Their bonds with Masa Saito and Genichiro Tenru in particular, and their ability to take their advice seriously and push forward no matter what, help them create something that is truly singular in the scope of Karesu. 
in his February 8th column for Shupro Magazine that I mentioned earlier, Keno mentioned that to any wrestling fan, February 11th is not only Foundation Day in Japan, but also Kensuke Office Day. And that speaks to the impact this promotion had on the scope of Japan and how thoroughly February 11th still stands out in people's minds as an important day for Kensuke Sasaki and everyone who is affiliated with Kensuke Office. And speaking of the affiliates and alumni of Kensuke Office, the bonds they have created and the stories they have crafted thanks to their time in the Kensuke Dojo and in Diamond Ring have lasted their entire career and affect them to this very day. For Katsuko Nakajima and Masa Kitamiya, their storyline and rivalry is incredible and intricate and goes to show just how strong their bond truly is. We will discuss the depth of this rivalry in the second part of our rival series on February 27th, where we will cover the aggression. And on to our next uh, sort of bond that was created that we mentioned earlier in the episode. On January 22nd, during Noah's Great Muda final bye-bye, they announced the card for their upcoming Tokyo Dome show on February 21st. Shocking everyone in the crowd, Noah revealed a six-man tag match billed as Noah versus AJPW with Katsuko Nakajima, Hano, and Manaba Soya representing Noah, facing Kento Miyahara, Yuma Oyagi, and Suwama fighting for AJPW. The response to this match was huge for one primary reason, the reunion between Miyahara and Nakajima. The weight of this match is far more than your typical nostalgia trip between two people who have fought or teamed together in the past. Like, One thing I really wanted to compare this to was that feeling of the build to Nakajima versus Shingo Takagi on January 21st. If you compare the build and the feeling of that match to what we are feeling now with Kento and Nakajima facing each other in the ring again, it feels like night and day. There's just this intense level of intrigue based on what will happen when the two are in the same ring together. And Alicia spoke to that beautifully, that this intrigue was built based on all of these rumors surrounding them. And both men are intensely aware of this, building the match in their own way. Nakajima spoke in a YouTube video for Noah, claiming that there is simply no heat or feud between the two of them, laughing off the idea that Miyahara could possibly hate him. However, when asked in an interview with Tokyo Sports about the match and upcoming reunion between the two Kensuke office trainees, Kento merely responded with, no comment. Further fanning the flames between them and building more and more interest in the match, which I think you also mentioned, Alicia, was that they're very smart about this. They are. And if you add in Keno, who is constantly naming the rumors, right? Nakajima doesn't necessarily name the rumors. He just says that Kento could never hate him. Ha ha ha. And he sort of dismisses the idea. Kento never talks about these things directly because for Kento, he is the triple crown champion. He does not have to talk about these things directly. So no comment. And then when you have Kento naming these rumors and really putting like, the, he's he's really representing the fans in in this. And he's doing what the fans have been doing online 
for years. I mean, it's fascinating the way that these three can all use the media and also use, again, the fans to build this match. And it's just, it's extraordinary to watch in real time with an event that feels remarkable to me because I can only compare something like Mudo's retirement show to Final Burning, which I wasn't a fan for, but it feels like that sort of an event, a once in a lifetime sort of retirement show that I've never experienced as a fan before. So it's just all sort of exciting and overwhelming. Yeah, there's almost a feeling of like a pro wrestling festival going on with Mm -hmm. the amount of companies that are involved in the show. So to have this happen on that stage in the Tokyo Dome uh, really gives weight to it. And it's, it's very, very interesting and really exciting. And honestly, this sort of intensity could not have happened if Diamond Ring did not make a lasting impact on the wrestling world. And neither men would be telling this story if Kensuke office didn't mean something to them. So I, for one, am looking forward to seeing what happens and looking forward to seeing what kind of legacy these two continue to carry. Thank you all so much for listening to and for supporting Kickout. We just truly appreciate everything that you guys do for us. Please make sure that if you haven't already, you leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. It helps us so much. It helps people find us and we really could use that support right now. If you would like to help us in our quest to have more professionally translated materials for our episodes, please consider heading over to our Ko-fi page. That's ko-fi.com slash kickout299. For our work cited on this episode and more, please go to our blog, kickout299.wordpress.com. If you need to get in touch with us, follow us and send a DM on our Twitter, kickout299, or email us at kickoutat299 at gmail.com. And as Alicia mentioned, you can find us on Twitter at kickout299. You can also find me, Rachel, at milkystar, that's M-I-I-K-Y star. And you can find Alicia at Shiranui Kai with two eyes. We also have a link tree where you can find all the different ways to keep in touch with us and keep up with what we're doing. And that will be at linktr.ee slash kickout 2.99. And we now have an Instagram where you can keep track of our latest releases. And that will be also at kickout 299. And we have some really fun future episodes coming your way. On February 21st, we have our second in our rival series, and that will be on The Aggression, Katsuhiko Nakajima and Masakita Mia. And on March 7th, we have an episode on the storytelling in stardom, and that will be with It's Dana Now on Twitter. We're very excited about that. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>